on this first Sunday of Advent, I wish you a happy new year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is already the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Growing up, and that's all the way through high school when I then went off to college, I don't remember ever having an alarm clock. I didn't need one. I had my dad. <laughs> my, my dad was a character, and he loved to get me up in the morning. Now, we had, I grew up in South Florida where we had these hard terrazzo floors. And my dad was a fancier of Florsheim Imperial wingtip shoes, which now in these later years of my own, I fancy them as well. I got a pair on this morning. But my dad had on his, his uh, Florsheim Imperial wingtips had uh, leather heels. And to preserve the heels, he had these, you have to be of a certain age to remember this. He had, he had metal wedges put in them that would make them, you know, not deteriorate so fast. And on terrazzo floor, they would be loud. So I would hear him in the morning coming down the hall, clump, 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 clump. And that would wake me up. And then I would lie there in dread, waiting for the moment when he would grab my big toe and say, Reggie, it's time to get up. And I would say, Dad, don't grab my big toe. I'm awake. And he would just walk off chuckling. That was our routine. Time to get up. Advent. Advent is the time when, when God says to us through his apostle, it's time to wake up. What, what are we waking up to? Well, three things. Advent calls us to awake, one, to some awful self-realizations. Advent calls us, two, to awake to a holy discontentment. And Advent calls us, three, to awake to an awe-filled Jesus realization. So first, awake one to some awful self-realizations. I'm going to pay attention here to Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in illicit sex and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. In the next verse, Paul says, give no forethought to these things. And he has to do so because they are so dominant in our lives. Advent invites me to the awful self-realization of the fact that I have proclivities to what he calls revelings. The Greek is komois, which means orgies, and drunkenness. And it's the plural. It's like bouts of drunkenness. Now, Paul has in mind, maybe not you, at least now, Paul has in mind, maybe in the past, Paul has in mind the normal world of Roman social life. Think John Belushi and friends in Animal House. Wild parties with excessive, excessive food, drink, drugs, 
cruel, great, cruel games and lewd entertainment. Now, by extension, Paul would have me waken to proclivities of all sorts of addiction or obsession, even if, which is probably the case for most people in here, it's something more respectable. I don't know, maybe an inclination just to deaden life's pain with bourbon or to game the night away or to fritter time on house flipping shows. Maybe, again, more respectfully, respectably, God would waken me to enjoying those repasts with close friends where we find ourselves putting down people who aren't there. Staying with the theme of being awakened to awful self-realizations, Advent awakens me to inclinations to what Paul calls illicit sex. It's coitus, plural of beddings, and licentiousness, just giving thought or forethought to fantasies or telling or making up tales of conquest, becoming awake to the delight of coloring outside the lines, becoming aware of what a monster I could be if I let myself. And also, in the category of being awakened to awful self-realizations, Paul mentions quarreling and jealousy, the Greek for which is quarreling and jealousy. <laughs> Ouch. How delicious it feels to relish rage, to surrender to the urge for revenge against the guy who got promoted over me, to work myself into a blinding rage when, say, the results of an election leave me in stunned disbelief. But with Christ's comings, his first coming to show what we were made to be and to die and rise to begin to make it so, and then the promise of a second coming to finish making it so. With Christ's comings, I awake to something else that has awakened me. And thus, Advent awakens us too to a holy discontentment. Advent awakens us to a holy discontentment by showing us just how empty addictions and obsessions and distractions leave you, how spent, how worthless, how reveling and drunkenness and all the things that could fall into that category, how they fail to love you back. Advent awakens us to a holy discontentment by proving how impossible fantasized libido makes real life relationships. Advent awakens us to what regret lies on the far side of transgressive trysts. Advent awakens us to the truth in Paul Simon's Kodachrome. If you took all the girls I knew when I was single and brought them all together for one night, I know they'd never match my sweet imagination, and everything looks worse in black and white. Advent awakens us to a holy discontentment by clarifying for us how futile the rage is, how incoherent I, well, at least I, how incoherent I become when I give myself over to it, how ineffective all my strategies are for getting even or for setting things to right according to my standards, even how off or me-centered those standards are. Which thankfully brings me to three, how Advent awakens me and hopefully us, to an awe-filled Jesus realization. 
For Paul, the fact that Jesus has come and will come again changes everything. Recall how he puts it. It is already the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us walk as in the day. Now, Mother Kirk, which is shorthand for the church, and this church, in fact, Mother Kirk has taught me language for this realization. Prayer B that we will be using throughout this season in our Eucharist. Prayer B has taught me and teaches us to pray. You have made us worthy to stand before you. For the author of our salvation has brought us out of error into truth. The head of the church has brought us out of sin into righteousness. The firstborn of all creation has brought us out of death into life. And here, friends, is the way this happens to be working for me right now. Because I'm trying to work through some hard stuff. And I'm doing stuff in my head that I wasn't taught to do in seminary. I wasn't taught to do in grad school. And I guarantee you, I didn't teach when I was in seminary. But here I am. I imagine I'm at the beach. And for me, that happens to be New Smyrna Beach. Because it's one of our happy places. And I don't know, maybe I'm on the first floor, maybe I'm on the fifth floor, maybe on the eighth floor, doesn't matter, but I'm on the beach. It's night, and I'm sleeping next to a beachside window, letting the sound of the waves put me to sleep. Somewhere around, oh, dark o'clock, somebody grabs my big toe. It's not my dad with his clunky Florsheim imperial wingtips. It's Jesus with his Galilean soft sandals. In my head, Jesus quotes Paul. It's time to get up. The night is far gone. The day is near. Come with me. And then Jesus takes me out onto the porch and he says, Let's sit a while. Eventually, he asks, what do you see? Well, he's taken me out there in that magical 45 minutes before sunrise. And what's unfolding before us is God's pre-dawn light show. The black sky beginning to hint at change. The morning star, Venus, heralding the coming of Earth's own star, the sun. Deep oranges and purples slowly but inexorably give way to peaches and lighter blues. And so that's what I tell Jesus. Okay, remember, this is my hyperactive imagination. Okay, he asks, so what do you think it means? Well, sir, every morning the sun can't not come up. And because you came and are coming again, I'm living just before true day springs to light. And I need to say goodbye to the night and hello to the day. Yes, he says. 
And therefore, remember what Mother Kirk's prayer has taught you. I, the Lord Jesus, made you worthy to stand before your heavenly Father. I, the author of your salvation, have brought you out of error into truth. I'm writing a new story for the whole human race. The cynics will not ultimately prevail, nor will the oppressors, the bigots, the liars, the self-servers, nor will those things, those very same things that dwell within you. Those things are not the deepest truths about you. I wondrously created and am yet more wondrously restoring you to be like me. So be patient. I, the head of the church, have brought you out of sin into righteousness. On the cross, I paid the penalty for everything you've ever done, are doing now, and ever will do. You stand in me righteous, clean, guilt-free, and in need of no shame before my Father. And that means what you offer is righteous and clean as well. Your feeblest efforts on my behalf this day are risk-free. You may fail in your sight and everybody else's, but not mine, because you are mine. I, the firstborn of all creation, have brought you out of death into life. I died and returned to life. In me, though you die, yet shall you live. In the meantime, I live to shine light into dark places, including the darkest places of your life and the darkest places of suffering on this planet I have won for God. I sing love into the places dominated by hate. I breathe hope into lives given over to despair. So let your dance of joy break out where grief seems the order of the day. Now get on with your day and walk as in the day. I wish us all, friends, a happy new year, a new start, and a rich season of Advent, for he has come, he will come again, and comes even now in the word, in the prayers, in the songs, in the bread and the wine, and in the kiss of peace. Amen.